and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.catherineplano.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today we have the inspirational, magical Pip Mackay. Pip Mackay is a pioneer within the field of personal transformation, NLP and coaching. She is an award-winning Amazon number one best-selling author for two books, The Eight Principles of Achievement, Love and Happiness and Four Tribes, One Earth. Pip is also a highly respected thought leader and invested over 20 years creating the entire field of matrix therapies and archetypal coaching. Her proven techniques help you discover your passion and purpose, clear negative influences and fulfill your potential. Pip explains that a lot of people live their lives without passion and purpose, which means they lack direction. They go to work but feel that it's meaningless and pointless. They find it difficult to wake up in the morning because they're not inspired. They might be asking themselves, what is my passion and what is my purpose in life? But find nothing that gives them the answers. Sometimes people who search for their passion and purpose find a very spiritual answer. But then find that they need to be doing something or going somewhere in order to feel that passion and purpose that it's not something they can simply live and breathe every day. Others try and reach their passion purpose through goal setting, but find that the goals don't seem to be really connected to who they are and what they really want. It's now time to tune into Pip's wisdom on how purpose directs passion and passion ignites purpose. Enjoy. Today we have a super amazing guest that we've been trying to get on the show for some time now. We have the lovely Pip Mackay all the way from New South Wales. Welcome to I Am One Project. Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. It's lovely to be here and connect with you again. I know it's 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 uh, and it, I think it's about time too. But um, we, for our listeners, let's unpack Pip Mackay because I'm sure they want to hear a little bit about your story. So tell us your story. Well, my story began when I was a child, I experienced abuse and then um, I had to go to court for that. And then a lot of, by the time I was 19, I was really suffering from depression. And so after that, I really went on a journey to heal what had happened to me in the past and to really find a place of empowerment. So that led me to a spiritual teacher and I spent 22 years doing a one-on-one spiritual apprenticeship with her 
And then after that, I learned NLP and I started to realize that, you know, the spiritual apprenticeship was very profound and deep, but there was no structure to it, which made it really a long process. Whereas with NLP, you had great structures, perhaps not the same profundity and depth that the spiritual teachings gave me. So I spent 17 years then combining the principles I learned from my spiritual apprenticeship with the structures of NLP to create practical coaching tools that would really help someone overcome anything in their past and also be able to find their passion and purpose and to live that. Mm, I love it. And so uh, for our listeners, for those that don't know about NLP, would you like to uh, tell us a little bit more? Uh, You have to excuse, we do have a bit of thunder going on in the background here. Yes, the gods are with us. What can I say? (laughs) Um, Yes, let's unpack uh, NLP a little bit. Sure. Well, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, which doesn't really help very much. But basically, it's a set of tools that look at language, how we communicate and emotional intelligence. And it puts that into a step-by-step structure. So how NLP differs from counselling or psychology is whereas counselling and psychology looks at dysfunctional people and how they can become functional, NLP looks at successful people and how functional people can fulfil more of their potential. So it comes out of the human potential movement rather than a pathology movement. And so it's really looking at how can we maximize our success and how can we use our mind more effectively to get us more of what we want and how can we clear away blocks in our emotions. Mm. And I'm curious, how did you merge the two? When you're talking, you've been on this spiritual journey uh, for 22 years. How did you then develop or find a way to merge the two? Because they're very different, aren't they? NLP is very much about the mindset. Yes, they're really different. And I think what I've found, you know, in a lot of personal development is people are either doing a lot of the spiritual work or they're doing the mindset work. And there's not a lot that combines the mind, the spirit, the emotions with getting results in your world in a practical way. And so I was very passionate about that because I really see we're a human being and we're whole and we should really have approaches that allow us to do all three. So what really happened for me was I went from this very spiritual background into the practical applications with the coaching NLP tools. And at first I rejected my spiritual background. And what happened for me was I went and did NLP practitioner training, master practitioner training a day later. And then two weeks later, I went to the States and I trained in that. And I came back and I ran my first NLP prac training two weeks after that. And it was really successful. And I had a successful business from the word go. And I was able to make money from what I loved immediately. And I thought this was relatively normal. And then when I looked around, this is actually really rare. It's very few people who had set up a successful business in a couple of weeks. And I started to think, well, what am I doing differently? Or what do I have access to that is different? And what I realized was I had these 22 spiritual principles that I was intuitively using, and it really gave me a point of difference. And so I started to think, well, it's not just the NLP by itself that's giving me that success. So what about I find a way of looking at the structure of NLP, which is a step-by-step process, with these principles and start to incorporate those principles into coaching processes that have a script and are step-by-step 
and have a measurable result. So that's how I did it. To begin with, it actually started where I was working with someone who was suffering from a lot of grief. So her father had died about 10, 15 years ago, and she couldn't let go of the grief. And I was using an NLP process to help her, but it was very mindset orientated and she just couldn't let go of the emotion. And so I started to just intuitively use what I'd learned from my spiritual journey. And I started to incorporate that into the session so that she could get a result. And um, when I did that, she had a big cathartic emotional experience, but afterwards she felt a lot better and she was really able to change her life. And so I started to just analyze, oh, how did I do that? What did I do? And then I put that into a script form. And that was the very first script that I created. Wow. I'm uh, uh, just uh, in awe that you uh, set up a business and it was a successful business in two weeks. That's extraordinary because we know uh, that most individuals, it can take up to 12 months, two years, even three years. So what would be that one piece of advice for those women that are listening to this right now, when, men and women actually, um, for those that are in business, what would be that one piece of advice that you would give them that was, um, I guess, what made you so successful? Well, I think, you know, if you've come from a corporate job world, it's great to reduce how many days you're doing that for just to give you some cash flow so that you're not in a place of desperation. So I certainly had a few days still at the job that I was doing. So what I did was I set up my business on the side um, on a Wednesday afternoon and a Saturday. And then within a very short period of time, that started to expand. And the key thing was that I made the leap and um, I put myself out there by giving speeches. And that was what allowed me to have a successful business so quickly because I immediately was putting myself out there. But I had a background of support with subcontracting to my old business for a short period of time. So I think it's really important to use the resources that you have around you um, and not do all or nothing, but there comes a point where you definitely have to let go of the security blanket. And I think one of the things that causes a lot of people not to be successful is they might let go of the security blanket immediately and then they've got nothing and they don't have any support or they hold on to the security blanket for way too long and they don't make that leap. So I think um, it's really about being able to see very clearly when to make that leap and not to allow fear to make you do an all or nothing experience. So, you know, to jump out too quickly or to stay in too long. So I think clearing fear makes a really big difference to being able to make rational decisions and to have strategic risk. Mm, absolutely. And how do you go about uh, speaking with the merge of NLP and spirituality? Because I know for me that sometimes when I talk about spirituality, there's a level of resistance because they've got, I guess, uh, you know, negative connotations around it, whether they think it's religion or whatever that may be. Um, even though I see that, you know, there's a lot of research out there where quantum physics really supports uh, a lot of the spiritual beliefs. So how are you finding that today, speaking about merging the two? Well, I don't start off by talking about spirituality 
um, per se because you're right, people have so many different concepts of what that means. So I talk about the 22 principles of success, love and happiness and then I talk about how you can have success, love and happiness in your life and I'll always start off with a model that appeals to the conscious mind, to the rational part of our mind and I use that as a bridge to something deeper. So mm. that's always what I do and you're right, Catherine, because for a long time in my business, um, finding a way to bring those two together was not easy and it were, wasn't easy to find the language around marketing it. So we talk a lot about evolving and evolution and how it is that we can evolve and then we use language like intuition um, and accessing that higher or best part of yourself or fulfilling potential, that's how we lead into it because those words have less of those negative connotations. And also, too, our work is very practical. So we really see that we are walking a complete middle line between that sort of masculine approach to getting results and outcomes and that more feminine emotional um, and spiritual approach. So we really want to really have a middle line because I don't want to do too woo-woo either. Where I feels good but there's no outcome, there's no change in their life. I really believe in transformation that has a practical impact on the person's actual life and that they can bring back into their world. So, yeah, it's really about that middle path and I really think this is a massive emerging market mm. because what I want I mean it's lovely to go to yoga and it's nice to go to a goddess retreat but you know that's not what I'm seeing as um what's going to help me clear away my money blocks or you know someone's money blocks or someone's relationship issues we want to be able to find a way to merge the two and that's really what we've done in our work yeah, because people do they look for results they're looking you know they know their pain points and they're always looking at what is my return on investment? What will I get out of this if I um, invest in, um, you know, maybe NLP or or any other services? And and one thing I'd love to uh, sort of deep dive into because you talk about the twenty two principles and you do have a new book out, the eight principle of achievement, love, and happiness. So are these eight principles kind of uh, the main sort of the umbrella, and you've got these other principles that sit underneath it, or because yes, you talk that's... about twenty two principles. That's exactly right. Now, we look at the eight principles and these principles are all about how you can get what you want whilst at the same time maintaining your loving relationships or gaining one and have a sense of well-being because what we find is that some people are great with relationships but they're not good with fulfilling their potential. Some people are good with fulfilling their potential but their love life kind of lags behind and sometimes people have both of those things but they don't have any sense of well-being and happiness. So we're really looking at how can you really have this trifecta of things that are really the holy grail of personal development. And so we have these eight principles and we use archetypes to support those principles. So archetypes are really the best example of something and it allows us to sort of delve more into the mythical aspect of ourselves and to really go on a hero's journey to discover what it is we want and overcome our problems. And the archetypes really support that. So for instance, the principle of energy, which a lot of people feel like they're lacking these days, <laughs> um, that the secret of energy is actually inspiration. So when we feel inspired by something, then we have energy. So in my life, 
you know, because of the experience that I had and the big emotions that happened there, that really played havoc on my immune system. And it meant that I was open to chronic fatigue. And I had chronic fatigue for quite a long period of my life. But because I was so inspired in my business, even when I had chronic fatigue, I always had the energy available to me to stand up and give a speech, to write my books. And I've been more productive with chronic fatigue than a lot of people who are hugely healthy are. And it's because I always understood that if you're inspired you have energy. Well, the archetype that goes along with that principle and that secret is the innocent adventurer. It's that childlike, Peter Pan-like archetype. So when you think of someone like Richard Branson, you really see someone who's got that innocent adventurer. And when you get an archetype, you've got a pictorial representation. You've got this childlike concept, this Peter Pan quality. And that's something that you can hook into immediately you can have pictures of that that remind you that principle that really works on a subconscious level as well as the conscious mind so in our work you've got the principle which is the principle of energy you've got the secret that's inspiration and you can look at how you can become inspired but then you've also got this archetype this pictorial representation that really speaks to you at a much deeper level and so basically there's eight of these principles and when you follow those principles you have a blueprint for success love and happiness Mm. Now, I'm sure our listeners are thinking to themselves with the hero's journey. I love Joseph Campbell. Uh, maybe talk us through a little bit. What is the hero's journey? Yeah, well, the hero's journey looks at how you can move from being an ordinary person into an extraordinary person or a hero in your own life. And originally, it was seen as a blueprint for successful stories and blockbuster movies, things like um, – uh, you know, The Matrix um, or, you know, the Luke Skywalker tr- trilogy, those, those sorts of movies that became big blockbusters, they all followed a blueprint. And that blueprint can be simplified into before you start, you're in your ordinary world, you're kind of like a child just beginning. You are dependent on other people for inspiration. And then you cross the first threshold and it's like you become a teenager. You start to look at who you are. There's lots of tests and trials that you go through. Then you go through the second threshold, which allows you to move into the young adult. And this is where you have achievement. And then finally, you cross the third threshold, which brings you into the mature adult. And this is where you become the influential factor in your life, not because you're trying to convince other people of things, but because you're a shining example of how you can have whatever it was you were originally looking for in your life. So in our life, we can be going on a hero's journey in many areas. So sometimes we can be in mature adults, say in our business, where our business is really successful and an inspiration to others, but maybe we haven't started the hero's journey in our love life. Um, and then we might embark on the hero's journey in our love life and we might be going, gosh, I'm so successful in my business. Why is it every time I go dating, I just can't find the right person? Um, And so then we have to go on a hero's journey in our love life and discover what's going on internally inside of us that we need to change to attract the person that we want to be. And this is really the same in every area of our life you know when we start a journey we kind of almost wish that someone would just give it to us and then we go through this 
self-discovery and that's a bit angsty and we feel frustrated and there's lots of tests and trials but really that's what helps us grow into the person who can get what it is that we want and then finally the person who can contribute and be an example of that to others. So that's really the hero's journey in a nutshell. There's lots of different um, aspects to the hero's journey but I think that just helps us see there's really just these four stages. I call them the archetypal stages of growth. Um, and just to know that no matter what journey we start, if we want something that is really going to fulfill our potential, we'll always go on a hero's journey and that problems and challenges are actually a part of that and overcoming them is how we grow and how we kind of deserve the goal that we're searching for. So, Pip, for the four stages, if they're associated with uh, four different archetypes, uh, what yeah. are those four archetypes? Well, the first stage is the child. So that's before we've really started the journey. So if you think of Lord of the Rings and you think of Frodo, you know, he's just living in Bag End and he hasn't started his journey. He's kind of a child, kind of in paradise, really. Um, and then he starts to feel dissatisfied with that. You know, it doesn't fulfill him. And then he, you know, he then gets the ring and that's, you know, he crosses that first threshold because he's got to go on this journey to return the ring. Um, and then he moves into adolescence. So that's where, you know, he's growing, he's frustrated, he wishes this hadn't happened to him. But at the same time, he's learning, he's meeting amazing people, he's understanding and discovering qualities inside himself he didn't even know he had. And then he's able to overcome all of that and he's able to let go of the ring. Um, he has some help, obviously, to let go of the ring. And he's, you know, he's he's got what he wanted. He's achieved his goal. And that's where he's in the young adult phase. And then finally, he goes back to Bag End. But now he's the hero who's saved the world. And, you know, he's really kind of a wise mentor to other people. And, you know, that's the journey. So the four archetypes is, is the child, the adolescent, the young adult and the mature adult. So when you're working with someone, would it be fair to say that depending on what area of their life, whether it's relationship, work or health, whatever that may be, that you actually have a look at where they're at in their life, so which stage they're at for them to help them move forward into that next phase? Is that how it works? Yes. Well, you know, people come to you for coaching or come for personal development at different stages. So sometimes someone just is in that childhood stage. They're just looking for something more. They feel dissatisfied. They don't really understand what's going on. Um, but generally people start personal development when they're in that adolescent phase. You know, they've already embarked on the journey, but they're having a lot of challenges and they really need some support. They need to find some internal resources um, and so that's usually where they're coming to for coaching so really with the client I would be when they first came to me I would be finding out what's going on for them where they are now what problems they're facing what seems to be holding them back and where they would like to be so that's basically the main concept of coaching but I would certainly inside of myself be starting to understand well where is this person at because people need very different kinds of assistance depending on what part of the journey they're at. 
Mm. So the the hero's journey is almost like when you look at astrology, the houses is the where it's where they're at in their life. And I guess just from my understanding, if we have a look at how they show up as in their personality, is that more about the archetype, how they're showing up? Um, well, we generally use archetypes to help people discover their passion and purpose. Mm-hmm. And we also use archetypes to help them understand what might be the root cause of a problem. But usually what we're doing is it's the coach who has that sort of higher knowledge and then they will be helping the client discover which are their passion and purpose archetypes or understanding where the client's at so they can ask the sort of questions that help the client go to a really deep level of understanding. So, for instance, if somebody is having a lot of creative blocks as a coach, I would you know, be asking them questions about their creative blocks, but then I would definitely be asking them questions about their mother because the mother archetype represents creativity. So if you've got creative blocks, it means that there's a deeper block to do with your relationship with your mother that hasn't been resolved and that's what's causing the creative block. It's the same with organisation. So some people are really scattered, they can't get organised um, you know, they can't create systems in their business and this really holds them back. And for that problem, the deeper issue is always their relationship with their father. So maybe there was an absent father, maybe there was a weak father or maybe there was a father who was really dominant um, or aggressive or a father who didn't allow the person to be themselves. And then what happens is as the person rejects father or doesn't have father, they don't have structure in their life and they can't apply that to their business. So understanding the archetypes gives you a much deeper understanding of the deeper core issue that's really caused a problem. So that's one of the ways that we would use archetypes is mm. to very quickly get to a much deeper understanding of where a problem's coming from because sometimes you can work in personal development and you think that the cause of the problem is one thing but maybe at a deeper level, the cause is something quite different. And so archetypes can help you discover what the deeper cause of an issue is. Um, but also there's certain archetypes that we're more attracted to that when we do things that we love, there's a certain pattern to things that we love. And they're also archetypal. So, for instance, for me, I love pioneering new things. I love discovering and exploring and that archetype is the innocent adventurer so I need to make sure that that's a part of my life otherwise I get bored and I can't fulfill my passion and purpose so in our structure we look at people having four archetypes that are their genius and that they need to discover what that is so that they can be in flow. Mm, I love it and what are those four archetypes for our listeners because I'm sure they're sitting there wondering what other archetypes? Well people um have four out of eight. So I'll just run you through them briefly. Mm. So the first archetype is the innocent adventurer. So these are people who love new things, as I was saying before. The second archetype is the magician. This archetype is one where people love to transform things. They are a catalyst for change. Often when people look at them and how they get results, it seems to be magical. So that's the magician archetype. 
Then there's the Oracle. These people are much more mysterious. If you think of um, Johnny Depp or Angelina Jolie, there's kind of a mysterious magnetic quality about these people. Um, they they kind of like things that are hidden and more secret. Um, they tend to be mysterious to other people. So that's the oracle. Then there's the creative nurturer. These people are much more of a mother archetype but also creative. So think of Mother Earth. That's the creative nurturer. So these people are very generous. They're very giving. They're very nurturing. And they love beautiful things and to create, be creative. Um, and these people um, can have a tendency to exhaust themselves by giving too much to other people and not having enough time for themselves. And then there's the ruler archetype. These people are very organized. They like to be in charge. They like to be the boss. That's much more of a father archetype. Then there's the sage. This is an archetype where people love to study, um, you know, really like to become an expert in a particular area. So if you think of um, someone like Albert Einstein, you know, he's got a, a strong sage archetype. Um, and then you've got the lover's archetype. These people are romantic. They often discover um, their intimate partner early on life and stay with that person for a long time. Um, and they love romance and, and love and all that, that sort of thing. And then there's the knight archetype. These archetypes love to set goals and achieve goals. They can often be sports people, but they can also be business people who are very goal-orientated. So these are the eight. And in our work, we discover for a person what their four are. And those four, then we help them use that in branding. We help them use that in um finding the right relationship for themselves. We help them use that in their business. We help them use that to find what their best career would be. Even you can use it for health and fitness and your relationship to money. So there's in every area of your life, you can use your four and they show up for somebody in a particular order. And that order is their order of flow. So when the book Flow came out, I think in 1996, um, with Haley Chexon Mahaley, he talked about flow and, and many different examples of people in flow, but he didn't talk about how we can discover what our flow is. And that's what we've really got in, in the work that I've created. Mm, I love it. And I know for our listeners, we do have, because uh, we do have a lot of people in business, entrepreneurs, and a couple of their pain points that quite often um, we get asked about is money blocks is one, and the other one is success or getting results. Yes. So what would be the archetype associated with those two? Well, Money is something that different archetypes relate to differently and um, success as well. So if you think of someone like Rupert Murdoch, the way he's achieved success is very different from someone like Richard Branson. So what happens for a lot of people is they see somebody out there who's successful and then they attempt to emulate that person, but they haven't looked at whether they are similar or different to that person. So if I attempted to run my business in the way Rupert Murdoch has run his business, I wouldn't be able to do that because that would be the antithesis of my archetypes and my way of being in flow. Whereas someone like me is much more like Richard Branson. So if I run my business much more like Richard Branson does, 
then I'm going to be much more likely to make money from what it is I love. So this is a really important thing for me and for a lot of our course participants because a lot of them are trying to make money the way their parents told them would be the right way for them to make money, which is usually in this ruler way, which is the the Rupert Murdoch kind of way. um, Discipline yourself, make sure you're doing things that you don't want to do. You know, um, yes, you've got to become an accountant or you've got to become a lawyer or you've got to become a doctor or, or something like that to make money in. But if you're someone who loves new ideas and loves to be creative, well, you would just be miserable and you won't make very much money that way because it's not your genius. Whereas if you can model those people who are similar to you and you know what you're like and you know what they are like and you can match that, then you can run a business in a way that suits you. Then you're in flow, you're working to your strengths and then you love it, you're enthusiastic, you're inspired and people gravitate to you because you are authentically who you are. And that is really the key to be able to make money from what it is you love, to know who you are and create a business around that. I love that. So when you're talking about modelling for the those that don't know what that is, it's really kind of borrowing somebody else's beliefs, isn't it? Well, it's looking at a match out in the world for what are your beliefs and then seeing somebody else who has similar beliefs to you but who has a result that you haven't got yet. Um, So if you look at someone like Oprah Winfrey, for instance, so she's a creative nurturer archetype and, you know, she's created a business around connecting with people, communicating, being generous, um, nurturing people. Um, And, you know, that really suits authentically who she is. So she's a good model for me because I have that archetype as well. So I've got a Richard Branson archetype and I've got... um, um, an Oprah archetype. And then I kind of look at, well, I need to do a business that is pioneering new things, but is also connecting with people and helping those people heal their emotions. Um, you know, that's going to be much more suited to me. And I can see what are some of the things they put in place that help them. Well, Oprah had a TV show. Well, that's cool. I can create a TV show online where I can show people what I do and connect with people in that way. Um, Richard Branson pioneered and, and, and did new things and had a lot of variety and went on a lot of adventures. Well, great. In my business, I can take people on adventures as well. You know, so I've taken people to southern France. I've taken people to New Caledonia because that suits me because I love adventures and I need to take people on adventures with me. Now, somebody who's a ruler archetype, um, if they tried to model the way I made money or the way that Richard Branson made money, they wouldn't be able to do that because they don't have the personality or the style that would suit that. So, yeah, so modelling looks at how did that person get to where they are Am I similar to that person? Is where they are what would make me happy? Great. Let me look at what they've done and take some of the structures or the intentions or the experiences that they had and learn from that. Oh, I just love that. So, Pip, the other thing that we love to do is ask our woman of inspiration about pain points because we believe that everyone's got pain points. So what would be some of your biggest or a pain point that you may be dealing with on a day-to-day basis regarding your business or life? 
Yeah, sure. Well, for me, I get so passionate about what I do that that has, um, you know, caused a tendency towards workaholic behaviour. So I've done a lot of work on that to find much more balance in my life, but it's definitely something that I need to ensure I don't fall into pretty much on a daily level. So if I, you know, if I didn't find balance, I could literally work 24 hours a day and of course I would then be exhausted and that caused for me a lot of health problems. So I've really had to find a way not to do that so that I can get sleep, um, so that I can um, have a measured response, so I can make sure that my body is really well looked after because sometimes, you know, your spirit and your mind get so passionate that you don't realise that your body is still human <laughs> and that it needs sleep and food and time out and social time and, you know, cuddles with loved ones. And that's what I've really needed to work on and I basically work on that on a daily level. So basically what I do is all computers have to turn off when the sun goes down. Mm, um, I love that. Yeah, and I'm allowed to do other creative work, you know, like I could sit and, you know, draw something or brainstorm or do something like that. But all technology, all that kind of light that hypes my nervous system, that all has to just stop when the sun goes down and um, and I have time for myself or time for creativity or time for nature um, and also to have morning ritual as well where I wake up in the morning and the very first thing I do is connect with nature so that's very much the way that I balance myself yeah but I have to do it every day (laughs) what a great habit to have and I, I I hear you loud and clear I'm the same I feel like because I'm so passionate about what I do I work myself um to the ground sometimes and yeah. um, and it's because I don't feel like I'm working. It feels like I'm never working a day in my life. So that's the danger point when you love what you're doing. It's it's about having something that, you know, I like that what you were saying, as soon as the sun goes down, everything off. I might apply that myself. It's brilliant. Mm, yes, <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> so what do you think is one of the reasons or the number one reason that most individuals fail to succeed in their business? Well, I think there's three reasons. One, they don't know what their passion and purpose really is um, and they don't know how to um, make money from what it is they love. Then the second thing is people are far more influenced by the experience they had from their parents and the example of their parents than they realise. So particularly with things like money, health and relationships, often people are repeating patterns of parents in those areas and they don't realise that that's what's going on. And sometimes people will set, say, a money goal, but their subconscious mind still has negative beliefs around money that they picked up from their parents or childhood and that's what sabotages their money success, but they don't know. So I think it's really important to understand where your habits and patterns have come from and to be able to clear those. And then the third thing I think is just negative emotions, particularly fear, mm. um, really prevents people. So those are those are the three things that I think are absolutely core and that's certainly what we do with our, our people in our courses. You know, we look at how can people find their passion and purpose and apply that to their business success 
how can people clear away this negative programming that might might not even realize they've got and how can people clear negative emotions particularly fears Mm. And and how do you do that? Because I know that we talk about um, self-sabotage quite a bit and um, I actually was talking about how I dealt with my saboteur was for me to actually give it a name and separate it so I can actually work with it. Um, what would be some things that you actually do when you're actually working with that kind of thing, whether it's a self-sabotaging or negative beliefs or emotions? Yes, well, I think the key thing to understand is Whenever you're sabotaging behavior, it is actually like a child who's stuck in time. So, for instance, say, you know, you know that getting up and giving a speech is going to be the fastest way to promote your business, but you're terrified of doing it. So then you procrastinate and you don't ring anybody to tell them that you're available to have a speech. Um, so that would be a sabotaging behavior. But what, what it is is finding where that fear has come from and it will usually be somewhere in childhood. So I worked with a client once and she was phobic of public speaking. So if she stood up, her hands would shake, she would just go absolutely red, she would be sweating. And so we sat down and went, okay, well, you know, do you remember any time when you felt this way? Um, and she didn't. So we just got her to close her eyes and I just asked her, you know, how old were you when you first felt this feeling? Um, and she said seven years old, but she didn't know why. And so then we just had a process where we floated up in the air. She went and met that seven-year-old child and she asked that child, you know, what's going on? And what had gone on for her was her parents were um, Mormons and she had gone with them to knock on people's doors and sometimes her parents would try and get her to speak first. Um, and that was terrifying for her at seven. And so that's where her phobia of public speaking had come from. Um, so then taking that child out of that situation in your imagination, so imagining that child's going up to a safe place and then giving that child resources and, you know, like the resource of of you know, her being able to play and not, not having to do this thing that she, you know, shouldn't really be doing at seven, um, her having resources of self-confidence and so on and so forth, and then integrating that into the self and coming back. So how that translates in a daily level for somebody is rather than getting angry at oneself for sabotaging behaviour, to instead just see the sabotaging behaviour as a child and of your your own inner child and imagining that child is outside of you and then just asking the child, you know, what do you want or what are you afraid of that's causing you to either not do something or do something that's negative for the person? Like what do you want, what's going on for you? And just like any child, if you were an adult of a child, you know, and say they wanted heaps and heaps of lollies because you know, their body was exhausted and they were tired, that you would then as a parent go, okay, darling, well, look, you know, you can have some ice cream, but first of all, we're going to have some, you know, meat and vegetables and have a, a good meal and then we're going to get you to get to bed at a reasonable time. You know, so it's like parenting that inner self. 
but most people see the saboteur inside of them as the enemy. I don't see that. I see the saboteur as a child who either wants something or doesn't want something that what you want them to do represents. And so mothering or parenting that child, taking them by the hand and kind of like going, I know you're afraid, but it's okay. See, we open the cupboard. There's no ghost there. Mm. <laughs> and then shutting the child. And most of the time a self-saboteur is really there to protect you, to keep you safe. Yes, well, that's right. Um, that That is definitely a part of the saboteur um, is to keep yourself keep you safe but the saboteur can also want things that are actually good for you that you've become mean mummy or mean daddy and are denying it so sometimes you sabotage yourself because what you want is some more fun Mm. and you know so you know you're kind of like oh I've got this work to do and you've been you know being a workaholic and you haven't had any time out and then you procrastinate and you don't want to do that work and go off and watch Game of Thrones or something but really what's happening is the child inside wants to have some fun and so this escaping behavior is just a way of it trying to get a really important resource that it actually needs. Mm, I actually spoke about it with another interview that I actually only just discovered that my saboteur, every time a relationship was going really well, I would sabotage it. Anytime my business was doing it really well, I'd find a way to sabotage it. So uh, it came down to when I sort of was unpacking what that was, I had a fear of success. Yeah. Yeah which is really fascinating for me to then after all this work that I've been doing for 20-odd years yes. to, to then still realise that I am still doing this to myself. I think we never stop learning. Well, that's right. And I think, you know, fear of success is very, very interesting because it's we're only afraid of success because of what we think success means. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and really there's only three things that would cause a fear of success. So this is a new model that I've been, that I've recently worked, created. And we just look at every single fear, every single emotion just comes down to three things. So if we're afraid of success, it's because of three things. One, we might associate that if we're successful, we won't have the love and connection with friends, family or loved ones that we thought we were going to have. So, you know, maybe they'll be jealous. Maybe we fear we won't relate to them. So that we won't be loved, that fear, or that we are not really worthy of the success so we feel somehow that we're a fraud and we're getting rewarded for something that we aren't worthy of, or it's unsafe that if we're successful people will know us and they'll want what we have or they'll criticise us or or hurt us in some way. So that's another kind of extra dimension to a fear of success is looking at what does the child in me associates success is going to give me that is negative. So the adult associates success with, you know, money and contribution and and doing what you love and having more resources, but the child in us might associate success with something different. It's really fascinating. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, well, as you're saying it, a fear of success is also fear of not being loved, yet um, you work in your work because you're working towards success. So you sabotage your loved ones for success, yet you fear success. It's kind of a really interesting uh, way of looking at it. Exactly. And sometimes there's there's some really interesting hidden things. Like, for instance, um, I know at a, a number of years ago, I felt like when my business got to a particular level of success, 
I would sabotage it. And when I unpacked that, what I found was that what I, what I thought was that when I was successful, I would have more time. And when I had more time, I would feel lonely because at that time I didn't have a relationship. But every time I got into a relationship at that time, it was always very negative. So what I was doing was I was sabotaging success in my business so that I didn't have time to think about being lonely and I didn't have time for a relationship because because I was scared of relationships. So, you know, sometimes there can be hidden reasons for why it is that we're doing something. And I think this is why it's so important that when we're working on ourselves that we are working with the subconscious mind and starting to understand what's going on there and that we have some assistance either in a course or with a coach to help us unpack that because Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not easy to see because we're so focused on, oh, there's something about, you know, my my fear of success, but sometimes the fear can be somewhere else. Um, Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm listening to you with a smile on my face because I'm thinking to myself, success means freedom to me, yet I'm sabotaging my relationship so that I can have freedom, Uh, but I'm actually getting what I'm asking for. In, in 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 the relationship uh, sense. Does that make sense with what I'm trying yes, to say? Yes, yes, yes. You know, like the relationship is being sabotaged so that you can yeah. be free. But, yes. But my, for me, success means freedom. It's all about having the time to just maybe only work a couple of days, not crazy days. Yes, and then when you had that time, you'd have more time for the relationship. So it's kind of, yeah, sometimes it can feel quite counterintuitive, I think. Oh, that's hilarious. So, Pip, what we do as we wrap up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. So what would be yours? Magic. Oh, absolutely. You are the magic. You are. <laughs> I Even if it, for our listeners, you just have to look up Pip Mackay uh, and she does look like this princess goddess the mag- almost like a magician but uh, you know a, a, I wouldn't want to say a white witch but is that what you call I guess a female magician a white witch well um yeah I I kind of I suppose because my archetypes are the magician the innocent adventurer and the creative nurturer I would sort of see it more like earth magic if you know yes. what I mean like yeah. um you know kind of more like yeah, the fairy queen, I suppose. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah, because yep. that's a magical creature as well. But for me, magic means the ability to transform. So, you know, we have people come to our courses and they're, they're lost, they're doing a job they don't really want to do or their business has lost all its sparkle and, you know, they, they feel kind of mildly depressed um, or lonely and they don't know why. And then they leave feeling inspired, having practical resources and their life having transformed and changed. And for me, that's, that's, that's the magic. Um, you know, people finding their holy grail and, you know, being on a quest that is fulfilling and full of passion and purpose. So that's, that's why I love the concept of magic. And then people look back and go, I don't even know what it was that, really changed you know they can point out some things but there's been some sort of mythical transformation that they can't quite put words to and and I love that that's my favorite thing Mm, I remember when you went on uh, a search for the holy grail in south of France was that correct some time ago 
Right. That's exactly right. And then we took um, people on a course there and it was called Finding the Holy Grail Within. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we used the whole grail legend about, you know, what is the holy grail and what does it represent um, and how can we find that within ourselves. And then we went to different parts of France where the holy grail um has been in stories and in legend um and then you know felt the energy of that but also did processes um to help us discover that within it was really amazing i'll probably do it again in 2019 Mm. that's some plans to do it in and so what is the holy grail well, the Holy Grail has quite a lot of different backgrounds. So, you know, one of the traditional senses is it's the the cup that Jesus drank from in the Last Supper and that um, his blood went into when he was on the cross. But um, in the south of France, there's also a legend that the Holy Grail is um, is the bloodline of Mary Magdalene and Jesus. So there's a legend that Mary Magdalene and Jesus were husband and wife and that they gave birth to three children. So then the Holy Grail becomes, you know, the womb of um, of that sacred bloodline and that there's some Aragon kings who were descended from, from that belief. And then another belief about the Holy Grail is it's a stone from heaven um, and that it, it is a stone that, combines um, shadow and light together and we're meant to learn from our shadow and express our light and when we do that we turn the base metal of our personality into gold and this is the philosopher's stone and this is another concept of the holy grail and that one that concept is one that I think all of us can apply to our life. So how can we overcome the negative things that have happened to us in our life and the negative emotions and how can we transform that into wisdom and compassion and understanding and then how can we maximise our gifts and our talents and our passion and purpose and contribute that to the world? And when we can do both, we really become whole. And this is how we heal ourselves and others. I love it. And what part of south of France did you go searching for the Holy Grail? Well, um, in south of France, there's the skull of Mary Magdalene in a church, in a basilica there. Um, So we went and visited that. Um, And it's meant to have a lot of healing properties. And when I first saw that, when I was by myself, I had an instant spiritual experience where it was like she was speaking to me and um, she, um, my whole body started shaking and I was crying and I could hear her voice inside my mind. Um, and, um, yeah, and she gave me a whole lot of advice and a whole lot of um tools and wisdom and it was also like she was reframing my body and she was showing me a line from people like us you know seekers of wisdom um, and people who want to help others heal and fulfill their potential so women like us all the way through to Mary Magdalene all the way through to the ancient goddesses she showed me a lineage of all of us and she was saying to me that that women of power and women who are spiritual teachers have always been here on this earth and that we are part of a long um, and exciting and powerful and loving lineage 
and that the idea that the only spiritual leaders are male is not true and it never has been and that we are part of this long lineage. And then she said to me that I should bring people to the south of France, so that's what I did. <laughs> I love it. So what whereabouts in the south of France is that? Um, well, that's near Nice. Oh, so right. it's about um, about an hour's drive out of Nice. It's called Saint-Maxim Saint-Bon. And there's her skull there. There's um, a grotto, which is a cave where she spent the last years of her life, they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but that grotto was also um, a, a grotto to the goddess Isis. So that's the triple-headed goddess of the virgin, the mother, and the crone. Um, and that's an ancient actual site of that. So this is not woo-woo stuff. There's, they actually historic evidence of the worship of that Egyptian goddess in that cave so this is archaeological as well um and in the south of france it is like part of their history that mary arrived there there's even a town um on the seaside called the three marys from the sea well the marys from the sea and that's where they believe mary magdalene martha and mother mary arrived after the crucifixion when they escaped from the persecution that was going on there so there's actually a town called that the marys from the sea so for us here in australia it's like oh that's all that dan brown um (laughs) you know da vinci code stuff but in the south of france is actually their history oh i love it yeah, Love it's it. really amazing. And we went to a castle called Montségur, which is, um, you know, in the Parseval and the Holy Grail legend, they believe that that was Mont Sauvage. So there's a lot of incredible history there. We went to um, an, an old temple where the Aragon kings are actually buried. Well, you can see their burial place and you can see where the fleur de lis came from. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. Mm, wonderful well count me in next time you do it in 2019 it sounds fascinating so the other thing that we do as we wrap up the show is we always ask our woman of inspiration to leave us with three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners so what would be those three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today well what I interpreted this to mean is a a three-step practical exercise that you can do um and for, for me, this is about how you can bring your passion into your daily life. So first of all, I would brainstorm um, all the words or highest values that you have that you love. So these might be words like freedom, love, inspiration, uh, compassion, excitement, creativity, like all the words that really light you up when you think of that word. So not words you feel like you have to do, like responsibility and discipline, but words that you really love. And brainstorm all of those words and just brainstorm them until you empty out. Then pick your top seven and then put those words up somewhere where you can see them every single day and then pick one of those words to incorporate in your life that day so for instance for me um i just love being in nature so say one of my words was nature so then and say that day i'm going to really focus on that word so i might go out and do some gardening that day or say it's nature and I want to incorporate that into my business. Well, then I might have a really beautiful picture of nature that I put an inspiring quote 
towards. So, you know, spend a moment in nature and regenerate your soul. You know, maybe I create a quote like that and then I would have a picture of that and maybe I post that on Facebook. So I would take that word and I would make sure that that day I have to incorporate that word in lots of areas of my life. I might even do it with, um, you know, with my partner, you know, and we might have to go down, have to, <laughs> we might decide to go down to the beach and put our feet in there so that day is going to be that or maybe it's freedom and then it might be you know I have to I'm going to today incorporate the word freedom into my life this day so that's my step one brainstorm step two list your top seven step three pick one and incorporate it in your life that day absolutely love all of that that's fantastic i'm going to do that myself and i'm sure most of our listeners will do it as well thank you so much so pip for our listeners how can they find you what's the best place yeah well the best place to find me is on my website so that's pipmckay.com.au so p-i-p-m-c-k-a-y.com.au and on there we've got lots and lots of free resources we've got uh free events that are coming up called the 22 principles of success love and happiness that people can come along to i've got two minute inspiring videos on there that people can see i've got longer tv shows hour long tv shows that i've done um, and i've also got a lot of videos about our courses our level one courses that go through those three frustrations that most people have in our level two courses where we do horse whispering and work with horses to help reveal deeper levels of our psyche and our soul and um, and lots of other inspiration there too. So I would go into that and sign up for our, our Pips Tips and, um, yeah, that would be the best place to find out all about us and what we do. And for our listeners, I have seen Pip in action and she's very creative, energetic, fun and engaging. So I highly recommend that you go and check her out live. Um, she's wonderful. And Pip, thank you so, so much for finally coming on the show. Uh, it's been inspirational, definitely thought-provoking and just wonderful energy. Thank you so, so very much. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Catherine. You're such an inspiration for me and so many other people and to create a wonderful forum for everybody to be able to connect. It's really fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. If you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care.